Today, I have Emily Cooper with me here. She is known as the baby therapist on Instagram. (laughs) She has a real handle, but I remember following Emily back when she was still in grad school and she was taking sick notes for all her fellow therapist friends and sharing that with people. And she just had such a witty insight about just the human mind and now more and more body image, self-esteem and eating disorders. So I refreshed her page recently and I saw that she was, her private practice is now focused on solely body image and eating disorders work for the most part and self-esteem. And I thought who better to have on as a guest. So with that, Emily, why don't you introduce yourself, who you are, how you got to be in this world and do the work that you do. Well, thank you. My ego right now is just inflating (laughs) being on here. So yeah, my name is Emily Cooper. I graduated in 2018. I had an internship during grad school that was at a like eating disorder treatment center for adults and adolescents, which I kind of wanted that specific setting because I thought that that's what I wanted to specialize in after grad school. And yeah, I just, I really liked working with that population. And so then after grad school, I actually found a group private practice that kind of specialized in treating like food and body image issues, which in hindsight, I'm like, that's kind of rare. Like those are just like everywhere. So I got that job and was able to kind of like focus a little bit more on that population. And then, you know, moved to Seattle, worked at a different group practice that was a little bit more general, but also kind of allowed me just to do my thing. And then, yeah, when I went into private practice, it's just kind of a niche that I wanted to stay in and have kind of just stuck with that since. And if I remember correctly, are you from Utah originally, Emily? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to share something so random, but I've been on the side of TikTok, the Utah side of TikTok at times. It sprinkles that into my feed. And is it true that people in Utah growing up, there's a level of beauty that is unfounded in other parts of this country? (laughs) Utah culture is very, I've heard the phrase keeping up with the Joneses a lot. It's very looks focused. When I went to school in Connecticut or in New York, when I lived on the East Coast, like I would go to grocery stores and people would just be like in no makeup and their sweats. And I was like, what? Because in Utah, people are like full face of makeup to go to the gym and just like kind of always like ready and done up. And so I definitely think that plays a role in body image because that's what you think people look like. You're only ever seeing people, you know, with the eyelashes, which I love eyelash extensions. So I'm definitely not pissing on those or like hair extensions. So you're seeing people dressed to the nines every single day. I don't really know why that is though. I mean, I have a theory that it's like a very religious culture. And so I think, you know, when everyone is the same, you kind of want to stand out a little bit or something. So maybe they get more looks focused that way, or maybe just, you know, somewhere in history, it became like the norm. And now everyone just wants to fit in and no one wants to be the first one to be like showing up without everything done. But I don't know. I think it's maybe changing a little bit now with like the new generation. Like I know Gen Z is like a little bit more like, you know, dressed down and natural, but yeah, still, when I go back to Utah, I'm just like, Everyone is dressed so nice, but I went to Charleston on a girl's trip and everyone there was also just dressed very fancy. So I think it's in some other cultures too, but I I mean, I'm only familiar with Utah. So that's all Mm. I can really talk about. I know we have a lot of plastic surgery in Utah, a lot of like Botox and med spas, like a lot of stuff like that. 
just like very, very big in Utah for whatever reason. Fascinating. Fascinating. I mean, I've been once to Salt Lake City and I firsthand, I can attest. Yes. When I was looking around, I was like, wow, people look very polished, very nice. So for you growing up, what did that feel like in school, especially in high school and middle school? Yeah. I grew up with a mom who's just like very well relaxed. Like my mom, you know, to this day is like, what new beauty thing are you doing? Like what? Like she just is super chill. She didn't grow up in Utah. She grew up in the Pacific Northwest where it's just a lot more like, you know, I don't know, chill down to earth. It was almost like I had the opposite experience where I was embarrassed to wear makeup. So I think for me, in some ways it was fine because it wasn't like I was getting that pressure from everywhere. In my home, I felt very free just to kind of show up be however. And I also feel very lucky because the religious culture there with modesty is also very big. And so, you know, the Mormon culture, they typically wear like a cap sleeve, like you wouldn't catch them wearing like a tank top or like short shorts or like a bikini. I think the intersection of those two things, feeling they need to always get done up and then also don't look sexual at all. More so impactful on like my own body image as a kid. I think when that gap is wide between who you really are and like who you portray yourself to be in the world, that makes the disconnect just feel so wide. For you, what what specifically drew you into this world, this kind of self-esteem body image world? It seems like this was part of the equation. <laughs> Yeah, well, I I always am so like self-conscious about my answer to this because I think most therapists that I've heard in this world, they had an eating disorder. They had, you know, body image and, you know, they had all these like personal experiences and they were like, I really want to help other people. They definitely had, you know, body image issues for sure. But the reason why I settled on eating disorders actually is because I like the analytics of it. So my brain really likes like concrete things. And so, you know, when I was working at the treatment center, with other types of therapy, it, it can be harder to quantify, right? Like someone's depression. How have you been feeling since last session? It's like, good, the same. Like there's not like this, like, oh yeah, three of the five days I had, you know, 80% of the day was good, whatever. But with eating disorders, you know, you're marking off the meal. Okay. This client ate 80% of the meal or they ate all the meal or none of the meals. I actually talk about this with my therapist friends all the time where I, I sometimes really appreciate the fact that I'm a dietitian because there's an anchor. I can, I can listen to how someone behaves and their actions around food or movement. These things are very tangible versus if I were a therapist, the whole world, it would just be, okay, let's just go to into every single depth and crevice of your brain and how it relates to everything. That's just a big world to it's go through. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I totally understand where you're coming from there. And it, it sounds like you're using food and the quantifying the, the kind of analytical part of food to, to use as a side effect of their mental state at the time. Yeah. I think in my, in my work these days, what I'm noticing a lot is this, this desire to want to accept their bodies and not control food. Like there's that want logically, but it's not trickling down to the core, to the deepest beliefs that they have still about themselves, that they're not good enough. They're not pretty enough. No one will love them. And so they have to be thinner. Do you see that disconnect in, in your work with patients? Totally, totally. And I mean, I think on some level, it's like accurate, 
So I'm trained as a social worker. And so as social workers, we look at like the broader systems. And so if we're looking at systems of oppression, there's racism, there's sexism. But I also, you know, really think there's like sizeism and there definitely is like pretty privilege. And so, I mean, it feels gaslighting to me to tell a client like, oh yeah, like you shouldn't be worried that people aren't going to think you're pretty if you gain weight. Because there are people out there who are very sizist and they're like, I'm only going to date people who are like really thin or whatever. I think there are real benefits in society to being in a thin body, to being really super pretty, right? Just like there are benefits to being white, to being male, to being cisgender. So whenever people have those fears, the way I kind of approach it is you're right. Those systems of oppression do exist. I'm not going to be like, it's all in your head. It's all in your head because it's not, Mm -hmm. but the work is more so like, maybe this is going to make me sound like kind of a cuckoo person, but I kind of think about like our body is like a separate thing from us. So it's like, where does our body want to be? What does our body want? How can we take care of her in the way that she deserves to be taken care of? She deserves to be fed when she's hungry. She deserves to be, I think about it as if someone was telling me like what to wear, what to do. I'm like, no, like, let me be me. It's like, how can we let our body be like who she, he, they are. Right. And so it's, just kind of tolerating that discomfort between the effects that we might have if we let our body just be who it is. And then also like allowing it that freedom. So we might be treated poorly. We might have people who don't want to date us or aren't as attracted to us anymore. Those probably aren't people we want in our circle anyway, but that's all right. Um, But yeah, like it's, you know, wanting to make a change and then making the change is always like a really hard bridge to gap. And I think a lot of it kind of can come down to how well we tolerate discomfort, right? Mm -hmm. It's not easy to do these things. So if we're expecting that wanting it is going to be enough, then I think we kind of fall into trouble where it's like, okay, I don't, I don't want to, you know, wake up at 3am and feed my kid, but like, I have to, (laughs) you know, there's no other option. And so I think if we kind of think about it that way, it can make it a little bit easier because then we're not expecting it to be roses and butterflies. Mm-hmm. I love that you sprinkle in that real, that realism of like, yeah, you're absolutely right. It sucks sometimes. And it's so real, but let's separate the two and let's just tackle one thing at a time. I think that's so reassuring. I still remember the day of my junior year prom, the year I got chubby, the year that I had chipmunk cheeks and my mom's friend's son asked me out to prom and he knew me when I was thinner in like sophomore year. And when I got there and he picked me up, he ignored me the entire night. Didn't even talk to me. He was talking to the girl to his left who wasn't even his date. And so, and the kicker was he gave the girl his jacket when we were outside, when it was windy in the bay, it was cold. It was winter time. And I was standing there without a jacket. Now that was a very, very real moment of like pretty privilege. I was not that I had chipmunk cheeks. I was just in my growing phase, but man, that one hit that one. Yes. hit. Deep. <laughs> yes. I hear stories like that all the time or like, you know, when I'm working with clients who were in bigger bodies and then lost weight due to an eating disorder, they are like, I was treated better. And I'm like, I bet you were like, our society is really messed up, you know? And so, yeah, I think just like tolerating that frustration and that discomfort and just kind of being like, I mean, one of two roads, right. We can continue to try to, you know, fit into society and be treated better, which honestly, I'm not, I don't like purport to know like what's best for people. Right. So I don't know people's situations. I'm never going to be like, you should do this. Like if that creates safety for them, they can make their choices. I'm just here to offer a different perspective, you know, Mm -hmm. but yeah, pretty privileged than privilege. Very real things. (laughs) Very real. 
but I think you touch on a really good point, which is how can we take care of our bodies outside of just thinking about weight? And I, I talk about this with patients all the time of like, well, what's the value of movement? Even if your body doesn't change, what's the value of eating well, even if your body doesn't change. And I think that was the turning point for me. And for a lot of my patients of disconnecting the two, now that you've kind of gone through working with a lot of patients yourself, and you've probably done your own work around body image. What are some of the things that you're thinking about most these days? Like what are some of the top of mind struggles that may relate to self-esteem or self-worth that come to you? Yeah, that's interesting. I think in the context of like body stuff, a perspective I've been thinking about a lot is just like, and this is in all aspects of my life, but I'll relate it specifically to like body stuff. It's just like letting go of what we can and can't control. So I just had a baby like in whatever year, I don't even know. I can't think about it. It was 2021, 2021. So my <laughs> daughter is now like 18 months and having a baby, right? Your body goes through all these changes and you just like, can't control it. Your body is just doing what it's got to do. And so I think sometimes our frustration comes from trying to change things that are inherently unchangeable, right? Like stretch marks is probably a good concrete example. People are like rubbing the oil, me included, right? Rubbing the oil on my belly. And then I Google my third trimester and people are like, you get them or you don't. Like you can't really like prevent them, right? There's no science that's like, you can prevent stretch marks. And so it's like, we're spending all this time and energy trying to prevent something that is just gonna either happen or it's not. And I think that creates a lot of frustration. So I think if we can accept things that we might not like, we might not want those things to be true, but like that is the truth. If we can accept them and then learn how to tolerate them, I think it creates like a lot more sanity than continually trying to like change things we can't change. And so going along with that, I think accepting our bodies and then grounding our value in something else mm -hmm. is really powerful. So for me now, I'm like, okay, whatever. This is how I look. You know, it's, it is what it is. I don't really leave the house a lot anyway. So it doesn't, doesn't affect me too much, but it's like more than anything, I want to have a career that's important to me, right? I want to be a good mom to my daughter. I want to have friendships that are important. Let's say four hours of free time every day, aside from my work and my daughter. How do I want to spend that? Do I want to spend that trying to change something that's just going to do its thing anyway? Or do I want to say, I'm just going to go eat whatever I have to eat to get fuel so I can go home and like play a game with my husband or, you know, talk to my mom on the phone. And I think exercise can be kind of a similar thing. I remember when I used to try to exercise in high school, this is so stupid of me, but I thought that running, like you want to run fast. And so when I tried to run on the treadmill, I would run at like a six or whatever, like the really high setting is. And I would get side aches and I'd be like, oh, I hate this. And I'd be like, well, I got to run. And so then I would, you know, go a while without exercising and then try to make myself do it again. And it's like, it's that weird mentality of like, this has to go a certain way, right? So I really didn't exercise that much growing up because I didn't like running. And I thought that was all exercise was. I would walk my dog, which walking does count as exercise. I hate that people just always downplay it. I'm like, this counts. And then I also discovered tennis, which is just like fun and like walking my dog and playing with him and running around with my daughter. And so there are all these other forms of movement that aren't really based in like this input output, input output formula. You're just moving because it's fun. You're playing tennis because it's fun. You're going on a walk because it's fall. You want to see the leaves right now. There's like snow in Portland, which is super strange. I want to go like crunch on it with my little boots, you know, like mm -hmm. moving just because we like it rather than we're trying to change something that probably isn't even going to change anyway. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's so simple. It's like simple when you hear it out loud, but this takes people months, if not years to actually feel and embody. 
I remember vividly when my patient discovered this nugget, it, it was like three years into working with them, but it's really, it's like a really wise moment to know that, that having fun is really what ends up being the best and most sustainable way of doing things. But it, it's crazy to me. You've had a pri well, you've graduated, you've had a baby, you now have a private practice. Life is probably really chaotic for you right now. <laughs> What does life look like for you these days? And how do you find yourself having the confidence and energy to have a private practice while having a baby? I'll just say long story short, for me, my mental health is best when I have things to focus on. I have all this anxious energy built up in me. If it's the weekend, I don't have any work. I'm not listening to any news. Like my brain is just like picking the smallest bones and griping about them, you know? So for me, like having my business, having things to focus on, it gives me this outlet. And then, you know, I'm done with my work day. I can go hang out with my daughter. We have a great time. So I think a lot of life is just a trial and error. What works for us. And even mm -hmm. if something works for someone else, good for them, not for us. Right. So it's like, mm -hmm. what works for me? And that's kind of my approach as well with, you know, therapy, body, my self-esteem, all these things even like food stuff. It's just like trial and error. Does it work for you? Does it not? Like mm -hmm. my husband, um, he wanted to do whatever the all meat diet is. I forget oh, what the it's carnivore called. diet. <laughs> yeah. He did something like that. And everyone's like, you're just going to let him do that. I'm like, well, first of all, he's an autonomous, an autonomous human being. I don't control him. And second of all, sometimes that's how it goes, right? You want to test something out to see if it works for you. And if it doesn't, obviously he ended up like quitting it and being like, this is so stupid. Why did I do this? But I'm like, you know what? It's good to allow people the grace to figure out what works for them. I typically work at my practice in the morning and then in the afternoon is, you know, more like family time and kind of getting some self-care in during nap time, especially if you're an introvert, you ought to like go read a book or watch a show or something, you know, you can't be on all the time. Mm -hmm. Even speaking to you right now, it, it does sound like you have so much energy. So for you to relax, it's probably a godsend. <laughs> but speaking of having your own business, it's almost like dieting. I don't know if you can relate to this, but in my younger years, I would like try this new thing and try this other thing. And I always thought there was going to be a magic bullet for me to be confident and feel great in my body. I noticed that I was doing the same thing in my business the first two years of like, oh, maybe I'll try this. I'll try email marketing or, oh, maybe I'll like create more TikToks or oh, I'll focus on Instagram or like I'll start a podcast. And I, for the longest time, I thought that the confidence of having my own business, that it'll be smooth sailing and a well-oiled rig would just come to me. But I'm, I'm noticing more and more. It's not any of that. There's no magic bullet. I just need to be here and be consistent and show up. <laughs> Have you noticed that with the way that you handle business or not at all? It's funny because it's like, you know, when I first started, I was like, what am I doing? I need to get advice from people. And so I was given all of this advice. <laughs> I was looking at other people's business models and I was like, okay, like I'll do this, I'll do that. And then like, once I started doing it, I just, it didn't like feel like a good fit, right? Through just like trial and error, I've kind of figured out like what works for me and what doesn't. And I think a big thing for me is just like owning what my story is, right? Like my old bosses, my friends, like they all have their story. They have what works for them. They have their personality. They have their idea of what is right or best to do. And if that's email marketing, I love it for them. Great. I'm happy. Right. But for me, it doesn't fit. You know, it's not what I want to spend my time doing. Allowing myself the space just to like do what works for me has been like really powerful. Like, I like notes. I like research. I have this baby therapist Bible. That's when I released that. And like, that's been doing, that actually does better than my group practice, <laughs> which I think is so <laughs> funny. 
because I put way more time and money into my group practice, but it is what it is, you know? So I think when we allow ourselves to show up authentically as who we are, right, then we attract that type of person. And I think it can be scary to do that, but the alternative is worse, right? If I show up and I'm like, I love sports, everyone's going to want to talk to me about sports. I don't really like sports. So it's not really something I want to spend my time on. Whereas if I can show up and be like, I don't watch sports, then I'm going to attract the people who are like a good fit for who I truly am. So I think the same can go with business and how you market your business and what sort of things you do within your business. People can see if it's authentic to you and they can, they feel drawn to that. And there's so many types of people. I think we can all be authentic in our business and we can all have great businesses because we don't want just like one type out there, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that takes a level of trusting yourself too, which is always, I think, a work in progress of, okay, what feels right for me? How does this sit with me? You know, going back to food, like, does this meal sit well in my body? Is it energizing today? Like, does this exercise feel right to me today? And with my business, like, honestly, I've done so many things, but the thing that feels the most right for me is podcasting. Like I just love talking. It really feeds my soul having these conversations. And this is where I'm putting most of my energy these days. So you're absolutely right. It like what you attract and what you really like authentically, like they're, they go hand in hand. So I think that was very wise, Emily. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- thank you. So what's next for you, Emily? Like, what are you hoping to achieve in this new year with life or your business or where you see yourself going with everything? Yeah, I think contrary to probably a lot of people's stuff, my next year is just going to be focused on like slowing down and doing less. I have a toddler, toddler moms get it. It's just a lot. (laughs) And so I just like my business, I think I'm happy with where it is. The only thing I would probably adjust is I do eventually want to get my, my baby therapist Bible right now. It's just on like a Google notes document and I sell a subscription through Patreon. I would love to get it made into a book that people can just buy one time, Mm -hmm. but I'm super paranoid about just like all the legalities with that. So I really want it to be published through a publisher rather than like self-published on Amazon. So that's like my, my main next project. But other than that, I think my group practice, I'm going to keep pretty little. I would maybe hire like one more person or maybe two, if it was like a really good fit, but I don't really have plans to grow that. And then I just, I still love like TikTok and social media. I think it's so fun. I love just like being dumb and funny on there. So I think I'll always probably invest my time in that just because that doesn't even feel like work to me. That's just like fun, you know? Other than that, I want to read a lot of books. I want to go on more more walks, try more recipes, bake, watch some TV, really Mm -hmm. kind of like settle, settle and become more comfortable with peace because I'm not really great at that right now. I feel like I constantly need to be doing something. And so I want to get better at just existing. I love that. I think you already had set that intention. So hopefully you find peace in slowing down. And if you haven't followed or if you haven't seen Emily's content online, she's really funny. You're really funny when you make (laughs) content in a very subtle way, in a very subtle way. It's like a quiet kind of quirky, funny. So where would you like people to go find you or go follow you? Cause you're, you're just really cool online. Well, thank you. I would say you can follow my, my Instagram, the tag, the handle is Hey Emily Cooper. And then my TikTok handle right now is just a therapy by Emily. I do have a podcast that's on Patreon because I get so worried about my clients hearing it. So uh, I made it all locked down in private. <laughs> and on my podcast, I talk a little bit more like personal. So Like I'll talk about things that I learned in therapy and how I'm applying them to my life. So if people want that, 
that's just on my Patreon, which is linked in my bios on either of the either of the social media sites. I love it. And I know Emily's taking clients in Washington and Utah right now. So you're currently full, right? You have a wait list. Yeah. So I'm actually, I moved out of Washington. So we're slowing down our Washington based clients. So mm-hmm. no Washington clients for now, but yeah, I am, I have a wait list and that's what I pull from. People can hop on my wait list if they are based in Utah and want to get therapy. And then my clinician who I work with, who works at my practice, her name's Christina. She's amazing. She's great. She works with like all these same things, plus more works with chronic illness, some other things like that that are really cool and unique to her. She is taking new clients right now. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Fantastic. Well, it was so nice chatting with you, Emily, and I can't wait to see how 2023 unfolds for you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Craving Food Freedom Podcast. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and please leave a review. I love hearing from you. Until next time, I will be right here rooting for you always on your ongoing journey towards food freedom.